The following audio is from Norris Ferry Community Church. More information about Norris Ferry Community Church is available at norrisferrychurch.org. We're talking about restoring a people. In the book of Nehemiah, we have seen the, uh, the Lord's restoration is brought through Jesus Christ. And we've seen in the first... Uh, several chapters that Nehemiah was going back to the city of Jerusalem to bring physical restoration so that the restoration of worship can happen. And then we've kind of taken this pause in chapters 8, 9, and 10 to see that there's been this spiritual restoration happening among the people as they discover the Word of God. Uh, Today, we're going to see a key part of restoring the city of Shreveport, restoring families, restoring neighborhoods, is covenant commitment. Now, I was thinking about that, and I think about the concept of commitment and accountability and responsibility in our culture is a very countercultural concept. Uh, if, if I were to, to ask you, um, what is the path of greatest fulfillment in, in, in your life, you probably wouldn't think that making an, a commitment and being held accountable and being responsible is a part of that process. Uh, I'm going to argue today that from the Word of God, it's absolutely key and crucial to that process that fulfillment is found a massive part of that, of course, it starts in submitting and being accountable to the Lord Jesus Christ and being washed in the blood of Christ. But then the, the key of experiencing a life of fulfillment and your God-given potential is making yourself, voluntarily making yourself accountable to other people. Uh, we're going to see that in, in the book of Nehemiah, but it was interesting as I prepared... I was researching and I found a study by a, a secular clinical psychologist. So this is not a Christian psychologist. This is, this is a, a secular clinical psychologist, Dr. David Mashburn. And listen to what he says. He writes, he's writing to businesses, trying to help them with their employees. But it, I just found it so interesting and, and right on what he says about our culture. He says the media, self-help books, and psychologists have condemned feelings of guilt and personal responsibility. These negative feelings are said to hinder one's development and self-actualization. He goes on to say, institutions that impose rules and regulations and expectations have been said to impede healthy development and personal fulfillment. Commitment has become an outdated concept that restricts our ability to realize our potential. I would agree that that's the consensus of the world today, that the world today would say commitment is an outdated concept and it actually restricts one's ability to realize their potential, to experience fulfillment. Now, he's referring to institutions, referring to businesses having rules or or expecting certain behavior from their employees. But I would say that applies to churches as well. That what we're doing here at our church is very countercultural. It's not easy. It's not normal to, to ask high commitment of its members. And I hope that today we'll have a better understanding of why we do that. And more importantly, we'll see the great blessing 
that is found in participating in such a commitment. Dr. Mashburn goes on and tells us about some conclusions that research has discovered that I think you'll find very interesting. He says this. He says, The evidence indicates that our culture's preoccupation with self, meaning self above any accountability, our culture's preoccupation with self has caused the opposite of what was intended. People are currently less fulfilled and are more prone to experience meaninglessness in their lives and work than ever before. The National Institute of Mental Health says that we are 10 times more likely to experience an episode of major depression than those who were born before 1920. The Gallup organization recently found that in the workforce, more than 70% of people are languishing in their jobs. What conditions have contributed to this epidemic, he asked? The most prolific psychology researchers agree that our culture's exalting the self has swung widely out of control. And I think we all say, you got that right. I would agree with this conclusion. And I would suggest to you that what we'll see in Nehemiah today is that fulfillment, joy, happiness, experiencing the life that God has in store for you is actually dependent upon entering into a covenant commitment with other believers. And that it's well worth the commitment. Let me ask the Lord to help us this morning. Lord, I pray for your help this morning. I don't want this to sound like legalistic rules that make us right with God. Because that's certainly not what you teach in your word. You teach in your word that we are saved by grace alone. We are declared righteous by the blood of Jesus Christ alone. But then that launches us on a path of living obediently to you. Help us to believe that that is the path of greatest fulfillment. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. We're going to look at Nehemiah chapter 10, but we're going to start with last week, chapter 9, verse 38. And the first thing we're going to see is the need for covenant community. We're going to see in these verses the need for covenant community. Why have a covenant? Why make a big deal writing out what we're going to do, how we're going to live, and then inviting other people to hold us accountable to that behavior? We're going to see the need for covenant community, and we're going to see it in the context of chapter 9, verse 38. Uh, Ham did a great job last week of working through chapter 9, and here's what it said at the end of that chapter. They, it, the scripture says, Now, because of all of this, we're making an agreement in writing. Because of all of this, we're entering into a written covenant, a commitment, making an agreement in writing. Well, because of all of what? What is he talking about? Well, all that we saw in chapter 9, that's a good place to start. That what we see in the review of the biblical history, a history, a record of God's faithfulness. We saw he was long-suffering, he was patient, he was gracious. He was kind. He was slow to anger. He was forgiving even when we're blaspheming and committing that sin. Also, we saw at the same time the history of God's faithfulness. We saw in light of that the history of humanity's rebellion. 
that Israel's story is our story. All of us continually follow through that cycle of rebellion and judgment, repentance and restoration. And it's a sad, tragic situation where all of us continue to rebel against God. And so in light of reading that, they, they looked at that, that, what the Word of God said. They looked at their own lives and they confessed their own sin. They said, yeah, this is exactly the problem. And they look at the history of why they were removed from their, their Garden of Eden, their promised land, was because of their sin. And why, now that they've come back and they've read the Scriptures, they found the treasured Word that God had given Moses, and they said, yeah. And because of all this, we've got to do something. Something's got to change. We've got to make a commitment in writing. And so we see there is a need for them to write out a covenant commitment of what they say God expects of them. And then they invite each other. Hey, would you help me? Would you help me fulfill this? And so we see in Israel a need for a covenant. We have the same need for a covenant. We have the same need to to follow the ways of the Lord. In the tracing of that history, we see the problem is that humanity has the natural tendency to do what is right in their own eyes. And that leads right into, buys right into this cultural concept of exaltation of self. That we think fulfillment, we think happiness, we think the, the path of blessing, the life that we all want, is found in, in just doing what I think is right for me. And we think for, for, for someone to have a set of standards and hold me accountable to that is restrictive of our enjoyment and restrictive of, of our fulfillment. And so we want to all do what's right in our own eyes. Judges, the book of Judges, speaks about Israel living in that time of history that we saw last week in chapter 9. And what the Judges says is they had no king in Israel at that time. So each person did what was right in his own eyes. Therefore, they did not experience fulfillment. They experienced devastation. They experienced destruction. They experienced exile. And so we see there's two paths presented. The world says the path of fulfillment and happiness and joy and blessing is is exalting self and doing what you think is right. And the Bible says... The path of fulfillment and blessing and enjoyment is submitting oneself to God and to His ways. And we see in Deuteronomy that the picture of the garden where God had given them all blessing and said, Enjoy life. Enjoy fulfillment. Enjoy my blessing. Enjoy me. How? By trusting me and obeying me. Trusting I know what's best for you. Not going outside and disobeying me. What they do, they bought into the lie that they needed to do what they thought was right instead of what God thought was right. And so they sinned and they were kicked out of the garden. Then we see Israel. Here's a chance to get it right. Here, let's start over. Israel in the promised land, the new garden. Let's, Israel, get in there, worship God in the temple, trust and obey God, and you'll experience life and fulfillment and blessing. And what do they do? Well, well first, the, the scriptures tells us they made a covenant commitment at that time. It says in Deuteronomy 30, Moses says, see, I have set before you today life, prosperity, death, adversity. What's the difference? What's the key? How will they experience life, prosperity, or death 
and adversity. It says in verse 16, in that I commanded you today to love the Lord your God, walk in his ways, to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments, that you may live and multiply. And the Lord your God may bless you in the land where you are entering to possess it. The message of the word of God is this, fulfillment, the life and blessings of God that we all long for are found in humbling ourselves to the authority of God and obeying his revealed will. The world says it's found in exalting ourselves and putting ourselves to be accountable to others restricts our enjoyment and our own personal fulfillment. I'm arguing today that the path of fulfillment and joy and your God-given potential is entering into covenant with other believers to hold yourself responsible to live the way God has called you to live. In chapters 8 and 9, we see that they needed a covenant. They looked at their lives. They saw the word of God. They admitted their sin. And they said, now because of all this, we are making an agreement in writing. Their story is our story. I was on vacation this week. And let me tell you what happens on vacation. I get antsy. I get nervous. I have a little anxiety. I, I just, I'm like, I just want to get back home. And part of that is when I'm left alone to myself, I don't gravitate toward God. That's a little secret I'm going to let you in on. When I'm left alone, I don't gravitate towards holiness. I don't gravitate towards godliness. I'm not saying I'm going on vacation and doing all this awful, sinful stuff. I'm just saying I value covenant community. It's become such an important part of my life that I need it. If I wasn't the pastor to stand in front of you on Sundays, if I didn't have to stand here and face you, if I didn't have to be in the Word of God preparing the sermon during the week, I would not be the same man that I am today. When I was talking to David Ham about coming on staff years ago, years ago, it's impressive to be able to say that, uh, years ago, uh, he, he was this hotshot attorney. He wouldn't say that, but I'll tell you, he's this half-line hotshot attorney on his way at the big time. And he's like, man, he's praying about it. Should I come and do this? And, and I remember thinking, I was honestly going, dude, I don't know. You're giving up a lot for this, you know? I mean, come on. And he is like, you know, what he kept coming back to, what he said, what made a major difference was he said, you know what I'm realizing though? That this leads me closer to being the kind of man of God that I want to be, the kind of dad I want to be, embracing a body and becoming a staff member in the church. He knew that the accountability, the time and the word, All that, which some people see as restrictive, he says, this is the path of great blessing in my life. And so he recognized that. And so I say to you, the same is true for all of us. We all need that covenant commitment. We all need brothers and sisters who love us. They're not sitting in judgment and condemnation, but they're saying, I love you and I want what's best for you. And so that's why we have covenant membership at this church. That's why even though it makes us weird... It makes us strange in some people's eyes. That's that church. And I don't know. We had a great laugh in my community group. I led the new members uh, group this, this go around. 
And one guy shared a story. He's like, you know, before I came, someone told me that you had like a whiteboard. You put our name on it. We're like, oh, 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 there's so much misunderstanding about us out there. And then later one day, someone says, we did used to have a whiteboard. I was like, oh, we did. Well, that's misunderstanding. We had every member on the whiteboard and we prayed for them because we take each member seriously. But the funny thing is it's very countercultural to have high expectations, to ask your members to go through a six-week membership class, to, to read the church covenant, to see if this is biblical, to see if this is what God wants for your life, and to say yes or no, I want that, I value that, I see that as a blessing in my life. We all need covenant community. Second thing we're going to see is the participants of the covenant community. Now, this comes from chapter 10, verses 1 through 28. It's a long list of names. But again, in 938, it tells us who that list of names are. That is, it says in 38, on the sealed document, on their written document, they sealed it. On that sealed document were the names of their leaders, their Levites, and their priests. So the leaders were first, and they said, let me write my name. Let me set the example. But this is not just a leadership covenant. Going on into chapter 10, 1 through 27, after all the leaders' names are listed, look at what it says in 10, 28. Look who are the participants of this covenant. It says, Now the rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the temple servants, and all those who had separated themselves from the peoples of the lands to the law of God, their wives, their sons, their daughters, all those who had knowledge and understanding. The participants of the covenant were everyone who had knowledge and understanding of what the word of God had revealed. And they said, yes, I want to separate myself from the world. The world described as doing that which is right in their own eyes. And I want to come a part of this community that submits myself under the authority of God and says, I want to do what the Lord says is right in His eyes. And so in this we see a picture of both salvation and sanctification. Salvation being realizing from the Word of God for us today that Jesus Christ is the only way to be declared righteous with God. Jesus became... God became a man. His name was Jesus. He was fully God, fully man. He lived the perfect life. He fulfilled the perfect covenant. He obeyed God completely. And then he gave his life on the cross, taking the judgment and the punishment that we deserve for every time we don't keep the covenant. And so it's a covenant of grace that we live under grace. We are so blessed to have the grace of God poured into us through Jesus Christ. By faith in Jesus We are declared righteous. God looks at us and says, it's as if you kept every word of the covenant. It's as if you were perfect in your obedience. And so that is the beginning of becoming a part of the community of faith. It's saying, I'm no longer going to count on my own righteousness. I'm going to count on his righteousness. But then it's just the beginning It's the beginning of the new life. We've talked about restoration. We're talking about restoring a people. It comes in phases. That's the first phase. You're restored to right standing with God. But then the rest of our life, restoration comes as we bring every part of our life under the authority of God. And that's what covenant community helps us do. And these are the people who said, I need your help. I want to be a part of that community. I want to live 
obedient life. I believe it's more fulfilling to obey God than to do what I want to do despite God's will. And so the covenant community, the covenant members of our church are first of all must be believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then they must understand that we are here to help each other, to spur one another on in holiness so that we can encourage each other to discover the most fulfilling life that God has for us, one of obedient submission to His revealed will in the Word of God. So the participants of the covenant community are believers submitting themselves, believers who identify with what the Word of God says about God, about His Son, and about His will for their lives. And they're locking arms together saying, Hey, help me. Help me do that. The final thing we see is the blessing of of covenant community. Why is it a blessing to be in covenant community? We're going to to read verses 30 through 39, and in verses 30 through 39, we're going to see three categories of the details of their covenant. What were they saying they would do? What were they agreeing to do? We're going to see it involves their family. We're going to see it involves their priorities. And if that's not meddling enough, we're going to see it involves their money. They made a covenant to say, hold me accountable to live this way in my family, hold me accountable to have these priorities, and hold me accountable to spend my money this way. Now, if that just doesn't make you want to sign a covenant, I don't know what will. So let's read 30 through 39. Here's what they said in this covenant. First thing they said is family, and that we will not give our daughters to the peoples of the land or take their daughters for our sons. So the first thing they say is that we want our family to pass down a legacy of worship. We want to raise our kids to marry believers and to have children who raise up as believers of the one true God and have children who raise up believers of the one true God. Deuteronomy 6 says to do this. And so they say, okay, they read the word of God. They said, yes. And they say, we don't need to marry foreign people. Now, this was not, they didn't hate foreigners. They weren't racist. They weren't bigots. They were saying, anyone who has not become followers of the one true God, we will not allow them and their gods and their religions to mix with ours. And so it was a commitment to the family being raised, raising up worshipers in the garden. What did he say to them? Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth with worshipers. And so they committed, yes, the Lord wants us to do that. We need to make that a commitment. Let's put it in writing. In verse 31, we see their priorities in the forms of the Sabbath. As for the peoples of the land who bring wares or grain on the Sabbath day to sell, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or on a holy day, and we will forgo crops on the seventh year and the exaction of every debt. Now, I'm calling this the category of priorities. Why do I do that? Because what is the Sabbath? The Sabbath we see in the creation account. God created six days, seventh day, He rested. It says... Three times in the creation account, on the seventh day, God rested. On the seventh day, God rested. On the seventh day, God rested. The point's clear. We need to have a time of rest. But what was the purpose of this time of rest? We see that it was to be a holy assembly of the people where they stopped from all the businesses of life and they stopped and they remembered and they worshipped God. Everything in their calendar... Everything on their planner, everything in their iPhone, everything on their schedule was dictated by, 
in relation to, was secondary to that Sabbath. They were to work six six days, make sure they had enough to build a rest on the seventh. That's their weekly calendar. Everything hinged around the priority of the Sabbath. Their monthly calendar. Every celebration, every offering was in relation to 12 days past the Sabbath. This many days past the Sabbath. Everything was secondary and in relation to the priority of stopping and worshiping and remembering God. Their annual calendars were established by the Sabbath. Their seventh year, every seventh year was a Sabbath year. Their Sabbath year, they were to stop all their money making for an entire year. They were not to harvest their crops for production, for sale. They were only to harvest what was needed to feed their families. And they were to let the poor live off their land that year. For an entire year, that seventh year was the Sabbath year of rest. And in that year, if any of their brothers in the community owed them money, that year, the reset button happened. And all debt was forgiven for a year. This is a serious priority of the Sabbath. Every seventh, seventh Sabbath was a Sabbath, another massive celebration. Everything in their life was dictated by the Sabbath. And what was the Sabbath? Setting aside time to gather with brothers and sisters in the faith to worship God. So they coveted to say, let's have right priorities that establish worship as number one. Finally, we see money. As if that wasn't metal enough, they get to money. And not only is it verse 32, 33, 34, 35, 36, 37, 38, and 39 is basically 90% of their covenant was telling each other how they're going to spend their money. Now, if I told you our covenant was 90% about how to spend your money, I don't think you're going to be rushing up here to join. It's serious business. What do they say? Let's look at this. Verse 32, it says, We also placed ourselves under obligation to contribute yearly a third of a shekel for the service of the house of our God. For the showbread, for the continual grain offering, for the continual burnt offering, the Sabbaths, the new moon, for the appointed times, for the holy things, and for the sin offerings to make atonement for Israel, and all the work of the house of God. Let me stop there. So what we see they're saying is, listen, God's will for us, the greatest blessing for the covenant community, is God in their midst. Now how can a sinful people be in the presence of God who is holy and right to pour His wrath out on that sin? Well, God provided them before the coming of Christ a sacrificial system. And so they're saying, listen, we haven't had that. We need to get back to that. We need to have worship restored. Well, that's going to mean wood. It's going to mean grain. It's going to mean uh, oils. We're going to have to have fire. We're going to have to have meats. We're going to have to have all this showbread. We're going to have to have utensils. Those things are made of gold. We're going to have, where are we going to get all that? And they looked at each other. Well, I'll put some money in. Okay, I'll put some money in. Oh, wait, in the Word of God, it tells us exactly what we need to do. It tells us how to do this. And so they continue reading. that To make worship happen, they committed, well, we need to delegate, allocate resources 
to this. And so they were saying, for atonement of Israel, for all the work of the house of God to happen, we've got to do this. Verse 34, they continue. Likewise, we cast lots for the supply of the wood among the priests, the Levites, and the people, so that they might bring it to the house of our God, according to our father's households, at fixed times annually, to burn on the altar of the Lord our God, as it is written in the law. Notice it was as it was written in the law. As the word of God said, we did. Verse 35, and that they might bring the first fruits of our ground and the first fruits of all the fruit of every tree to the house of the Lord annually and bring to the house of our God the firstborn of our sons and of our cattle and of our firstborn of our herds and of our flocks as it is written in the law. For the priest who are ministering in the house of God, we will also bring out the first of our dough. Our contributions, the first of every tree, the new wine, the oil to the priests at the chambers of the house of God, and the tithe of our ground to the Levites. For the Levites are they who receive the tithes in all the rural towns. The priest, the son of Aaron, shall be with the Levites when the Levites receive tithes, and the Levites shall bring up the tenth of the tithes to the house of our God, to the chambers of the storehouse." For the sons of Israel and the sons of Levi shall bring the contribution of the grain, the new wine, the oil, the chambers. There are the utensils of the sanctuary, the priests who are ministering, the gatekeepers, and the singers. Thus, we put in writing that we will not neglect the house of God. So that is a lot of detailed stipulations that is lulling you to sleep. But I want you to hear this. The path of greatest fulfillment comes in you viewing your resources and your money as it all belongs to God. He expects you and I to steward it, to promote the worship of God and to provide for the ministry of the church. Do you believe that? Do you and I believe what I just said? What we see in scriptures is that they knew someone has to offer that sacrifice. Someone has to take the animal and to sacrifice him, to cover our sins, to place it on the altar. Who's going to do that? The priest. God said the priest. Well, how are they going to do it? They've got to harvest food. I guess we're going to provide. And so God expected them in Israel to give the first and the best 10%, 10% of the gross went to pay for the ministering, the ministering priest in the tabernacle. And if that's not bad enough, we say, oh gosh, there goes the 10%. Well, guess what? There's a second one. After the 10% on the gross, they were expected to give another 10% on the net. Now that was to throw a big feast. At least they got to eat part of that. They participated in a big feast and they invited all the people of the community, all the poor came and ate at that feast so that everyone had what they needed. I'm not telling you you've got to give 10% gross, 10% net, and this, that. I'm telling you this, that if you want to know the best, most enjoyable way to view your finances, it's to give it all to God, 100%. And then in your prayers and talking to God, he says, I'm going to let you use some of it to go to New York on vacation. 
you'll be filled with such gratitude. But if you view it all as yours and every dime slipping through your fingers to go to someone else or to the church or to the greedy pastors or to this, that, the other, it's not going to be joyful. So we enter into covenant with one another. But notice the common link between all three, family, priorities, and money. What were they all about? They're all about worship. That which you were created to do. That which is the place of fulfillment. Raise your children to worship God. Establish priorities to worship God. Use your money and resources to provide worship of God. Now, that's the path of fulfillment. Everything inside us wakes up every day and says, No, I'm not so sure about that. God's word promises us. Why is it the path of fulfillment? Because that is what brings God glory. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be fulfilled. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be happy. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be filled with joy. Where does it come? It comes not in exalting self above anyone's rules or the word of God or God himself. It comes in humbling yourself, trusting in God's provision of Jesus Christ for your salvation, and then entering into a covenant community to say, would you please help me obey the word of God? I want to end today by inviting you to stand and reading our church covenant together. If you're not a member, we would love for you to stand and join us in reading this. We're not sneaking you into the membership. You don't, don't worry. We're not going to ask any of you for your W-2. What we'd like you to do is just everyone stand now and members will find the joy in remembering this covenant. Now, this is not rules to be right with God. We're right with God by Jesus Christ. This is our expression that we as members say, hey, I need your help. Help me live this way because I believe this is the path of the greatest fulfillment in life. So let's read this together. In response to his gracious salvation, we covenant to love Christ and to live faithful and fruitful lives. We covenant to worship together through singing, through the ordinance of baptism and Lord's Supper, and through the proclamation of God's word. We covenant to study God's word privately and to place ourselves under gifted teachers to understand and obey God's word. We covenant to help underwrite the mission of Norris Ferry Church, giving faithfully and generously. We covenant to love one another as committed members of community groups and to faithfully serve on ministry service teams. We will walk together in brotherly love, exercising an affectionate care for one another and providing for the needs of one another as occasion may require. We will work and pray for the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We will bear each other's burdens, build each other up, and prayerfully watch over each other in order to protect the testimony of God's church. We covenant to love the unchurched and unbelievers in our lives. We will prayerfully identify those to whom the Lord is leading us. We will be wise in the way we act towards them and will let our conversations be full of grace, making the most of every opportunity to influence them for Christ. We will, having set apart Christ as Lord, 
Always be prepared to give the reason for the hope that we have found in Christ. And we will covenant together to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to every tongue and tribe of every nation through prayer and planting indigenous churches. Knowing to whom much is given, much is demanded. We will guard against greed that we may contribute cheerfully and generously our resources, remaining alert in prayer and dressed in readiness to go as the Lord leads. Lord God, I pray that this morning we renew this commitment to one another and we renew this commitment to you, Lord. We want to live this way, not because we think it makes you love us, not because we think it makes us right with you in eternity. We want to live this way because, first of all, You've given us this desire as you fill us with your spirit when we trusted in Jesus Christ. But we also know that this, you, your way, is the path of blessing, the path of life and fulfillment. And we know that's found as we bring glory and honor to you and to your name, as we exalt you and not ourselves. Lord, help us live this way. Lord, I pray that those here today who have not trusted in the blood of Christ as the payment for their sin, would find it beautiful today. They would trust Jesus for their salvation. And I pray those who do not belong to a covenant community would see that we are not thinking that we're better than anybody, that we're not anything other than a group of sinners who believe God's way is best and want to help each other experience that life. And that they will be interested and want to be a part of such a wonderful family. Lord, all this is to bring you glory and honor, for you are glorious. It's in Christ's precious name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Norris Ferry Community Church, located in Shreveport, Louisiana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Norris Ferry Community Church, please visit us online at norrisferrychurch.org.